0: Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decolator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. And joining us now is a man who has won four National League battle batting titles. Since 1970, only Tony Gwynn has won more National League batting titles. He is the only one of three right-handed hitters to have won multiple titles since 1960. Roberto Clemente having also won four. Tommy Davis won back-to-back titles in 62 and 63. His record of four batting titles as a third baseman would be eclipsed only by Wade Boggs in 1988. In his 15-season career, he compiled a 305 batting average, 2,008 hits, 163 home runs, 860 runs batted in. Pretty good resume. It is a pleasure to welcome one of my all-time favorites back in the day, three-time all-star, the man they called Mad Dog, Bill Madlock to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Bill. How you doing?
1: Oh, doing really good. Uh, A little warm out here in uh, Arizona.
2: (laughs) Well, gee, since we have snow forecast for tomorrow night, we don't want to hear that.
1: Uh, Lucky you and
0: not lucky us, for sure. You know, you grew up in Decatur, Illinois, where you graduated from Eisenhower High School, where you played basketball, football, and baseball. You received 150 scholarship offers for basketball, around 100 for football and two for baseball. What were some of the schools that pushed hard for you in football and basketball, and why eventually did you choose baseball over those two?
1: Well, first of all, I love baseball, and we had a Giants minor league uh, team in there, and I got to meet some of the guys. They're really nice to me, and that's why I'm nice to the people now because they left a last impression on me. You know, I had, uh, you know, Illinois State, some of the Big Ten schools, and, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, small black colleges. Uh, so, uh, You know, I liked it, but I didn't like it that much. I always, uh, baseball was my first love.
0: You know, it's interesting because in doing the research, I read an article from November of 1968 when you won the City Prep Player of the Year as a senior. You won the City Scoring title that year with 107 points, 17 touchdowns, 5 extra points. You rushed for 1,016 yards. You had an 82-yard kickoff return. You were 2-for-6 passing for 93 (laughs) yards. Had two interceptions as a regular in the secondary. Do you ever wonder what might have been had you— Chosen a career path and made it to the NFL.
1: Oh no, no! Because the reason I didn't take football, is I went to a few of the schools, and guys were you know two sixty, two seventy, they can run just as fast as I could. That's no, uh, that's not a good choice. Let's stick to baseball. <laughs> you
0: know, having played those three sports in high school as well as Legion ball, you got to play for four coaches during your, your formative years, and, and you just said you know, being nice to those people because the, they're, those are the people that made you. Lots of times we overlook how important those guys are to players' development. So how important were your football coach, John Alexander, your baseball coach, Joe Russell, um, your, excuse me, your basketball coach, Joe Russell, your baseball coach, Bob Witt, and your legion coach, Dewey Marr, to the type of athlete you would later become?
1: Well, you know, in high school... You couldn't really mess up because my baseball coach was my history teacher. You know, my basketball coach was my teacher. So you always have to stay in line because you were seeing them all the time. You just didn't see them on the field. You're seeing them all throughout the day, almost every day. And, you know, in Legion, uh, you know, Dewey Mayer, you know, he gave us the opportunity to play a lot of games, you know, because uh, – in Illinois, you know, the weather was bad. We didn't get a chance to, uh, you know, play a l- We had a lot of games scheduled, but we didn't play a lot. But uh, they always taught me to work hard, be nice, and don't forget where you came from.
0: You're drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals, 11th round of the 69 Major League Baseball June Amateur draft out of high school. And the Washington Senators take you in the 5th round of the 70 Major League Baseball January draft secondary phase when you were at uh, Southern Illinois College. Why did you choose initially not to sign with the Cardinals?
1: Well, because at the the time, that's when the Cardinals, you know, they had Shannon, Maxfield, Javier... I think Tory was all those guys. I said, with those guys, I'll never get the opportunity to make it to the big league. So I chose, you know, going to college then. And with the Senators, uh, I mean, they might have been the worst team ever, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I had, you know, in spring training, I got a chance to play for one of the greatest, hitter, if not the greatest of all time, Ted Williams.
0: Not too shabby at all. You know, you yeah. look at your minor league stats, and something clicked in AAA. Your numbers were a lot better than the lower levels you had played in the Rangers organization what do you think was the turning point in your minor league career and who if anybody was the biggest impact in your climb to the majors in the minors
1: well you know I teach hitting right now for you know high school college kids you gotta learn what type of hitter you are before you can become a good hitter when I Sign. They used to tell me the quickest way to get to the big leagues is home runs. Now, nowadays, the only way to get to the big leagues is home runs. And and I wasn't a home run hitter. I felt that I was a double hitter, single hitter. And I start hitting more home runs when I start to put the ball in play. And and that's what really helped me. And that's why I preach to the kids now: know what type of hitter you are. Everybody cannot be a home run hitter. Some hitters got to be a single, a double hitter. So, and,
0: so
2: what, what do you what, what, let's uh, stop for a second? You talk about that. What do you think now? You mentioned this about the fact that the emphasis now is on launch angle and and you know hitting home runs, and nobody talks about they talk, look at on base percentage in a way, but they don't care about strikeouts. I mean, it used to be somebody struck out 100 times in a season, that was horrible, that was bad. Now somebody can strike out 180 times in a season, and that's considered acceptable.
0: And additionally, back in the day, if a scout saw a, a swing that right. was an uppercut, right. instead of swinging through the it ball, you know, they it. would yeah. correct it. So now that's, that's gone completely yeah. opposite.
1: Well, you know, I've talked to a lot of the, you know, hitters who play. When I play, they so sick these people on TV. You know, most of the people, you know, they, you know, there's analytics and stuff like that. You know, you got to do this, you got to do that. you got to hit the ball in the air. you got to lunch. Lun- and I have, I have kids, they go five for five, eight for eight in term, and they don't hit a home run, and they're not satisfied. They really come back really upset. I, you know, I think that's the wrong way to teach hitters, you know, eventually that, uh, you know, they might become a home run hitter, but you, you keep, you know, keep these guys, uh, you know, 50 pounds. You know I mean, and I go and watch games in Little League and high school, these kids don't even get the ball out they, out of the infield. They doing that lunch angle. You know, I'm not saying they can't do that later on, but first they have to learn how to hit. But now the kids don't want to learn how to hit. They want to just hit home runs at at six years old. Wow.
0: You know, getting back to your minor league career, you know, before you made the jump to the majors, the infield in Spokane was Hank Greenberg's son, who later, I believe, became your agent at first base. Uh, yes. Baseball's most interesting man, our good friend Lenny Randall, at second. Major league manager Pete McCannon at short, and you at third. Now that's a pretty good minor league infield. What was your fondest memories of playing with those guys in the minors?
1: Well, it, we just had fun, you know. When you're in the minor leagues, everybody trying to make it, you know. You, you know, you like where you're playing, but you want to get out of there as as soon as, <laughs> as possible. Like the Lenny Randall was a, he was a character. He's still a character. Absolutely. You, know? <laughs>
0: you don't have to tell uh, me that. You know,
1: <laughs> it, it, you know Pete McCannon. You know he's the manager for a few years with the, the Phillies, and you know Hank. You know, I mean not Hank. Uh, he went on not only to be uh, uh, my agent, he he went on to be deputy Commissioner of Baseball. So, you know, it's a you know successful group right there.
0: Absolutely. Friday, September 7th, 1973, Arlington Stadium. You make your Major League debut against the defending World Series champs, the Oakland A's. What do you remember most about that day?
1: Oh, my, you know, Reggie Jackson. You know, yeah, he always, uh, he, he always my favorite, you know, because, you know, after the game, you know, I you know, I came in, you know, after the game he saw me walking to the bus. He said, Come on kid, come with me you know, he took me out uh uh, uh for dinner and stuff after the wow. game and, and I, I always became a fan, you know, and I you know, when people talk about Reggie, you know, I look at him a different way. I look at him as a friend, you know, and and someone who talked to me about hitting, talked to me about baseball, you know, talked to me about life in general. So Reggie is one of my favorites. That's what I remember by Oakland.
0: What do you think it was about you that made Reggie do that? I mean, you're you know opposing team, a rookie, and you know, you make your first uh, debut, and he just comes up to you and says, "Let's go grab some dinner."
1: Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. You know, I have I have no no idea. You know, uh, he took me to the Playboy Club too. That was great too. <laughs>
0: it's a it's a good thing it was before cell phone cameras, right?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: uh, so you end up playing twenty one games that season with the Rangers. You hit three fifty one, but after the season, you and Vic Harris are traded to the Cubs for Fergie Jenkins. You're twenty three years old. You're replacing a, a favorite, not only that, an icon in, in Chicago, Ron Santo, but that didn't seem to phase you at all. You hit 313, the highest average for a Cubs third baseman since Stan Hack in 1945. In 1975, you won your first batting title with a 354 average. You followed that up with a second National League batting title in 76. Through through four years in the majors, at age twenty-five, you now have a career batting average of three forty-three. And somehow, <laughs> somehow, the Cubs trade you with Rob Sparing to the San Francisco Giants for, you know, standout Andrew Molstock, <laughs> uh, a 30-year-old Bobby <laughs> Mercer, and Steve Antavaras, who through four seasons at that point had a two sixty six lifetime batting average. First of all, I mean, reading that now, I'm still in shock that any team would make that trade. But when you heard that news, what's the first thing that goes through your mind?
1: i oh, Bob. I, I expected, it. so it was a surprise. You know, the only thing bad about it was going to San Francisco. If you've been to uh, Candlestick back then, you know, that wasn't the easiest place to go. You know, it, it was just baseball was changing at that time. You know, going to the free agent, the multi year contracts, and, you know, and Wrigley being as conservative as he was, you know, and then I came behind Billy, Ernie, and he said, I didn't give any of those guys a multi year contract. I'm sure not going to give you one. You know, but and that's why it went down. You know, and and uh, and you know, I was young. Yeah, you know, I I just took it for what it was worth. You know, and I told him I could play baseball anywhere.
0: You, you play baseball anywhere, as you say. You go on to San Francisco, who actually had Daryl Evans at third base, so they move you over to second. You play two plus seasons in the Bay, um, but on June 28, 1979, you're traded by the Giants to the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team that already had Dave Parker and Willie Stargell, and you join them during the playoff drive. You return back to third base. All right, you hit 328 with the Pirates during the regular season, 375 in the World Series. You'd make it back to the playoffs two more times in your career, but never to another World Series. So take us back to the ninth inning, Wednesday, October 17, 1979. You're standing at third base. There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth, game seven. You're up 4-1, to one, two outs. Pat Kelly flies a, t- a Kent Colby pitch out to Omar Moreno. What's going through your head as that ball's coming into Omar's glove?
1: I want... It was, it was just such a run because, as you know, we were down three to one, and we uh, came back. And, you know, Willie Stargell, uh, one of my favorite players, he hit the home run to put us ahead. And uh, when that ball went up, you know, it was just such a relief. You know, coming from my last place team, and then end up winning the World Series. Uh, it was just <laughs> an unbelievable. And I wish everybody could get that opportunity to play in the seventh game of a World Series and win it.
0: You you mentioned Willie Stargell, and if uh, people are watching on the Sportscaster app, you'll see me wearing my Pittsburgh Pirate jersey in honor of Bill, but it's the number 8 Willie Stargell. Still one of my favorite interviews I've ever done back with Willie in in 1980. But uh, Willie Stargell, at age 39, swept the MVP votes. He shared regular season honors with Keith Hernandez. He won the NLCS and World Series MVP that year as well. It's interesting to note that when you first joined the San Francisco Giants, Willie McCovey had returned from his time with Oakland and the Padres. He had 28 home runs and drove in 86 years old at the age of 86 runs at the age of 39 years old. Looking back at that opportunity to play with two great Hall of Famers in the latter part of their careers, and they were still putting up such tremendous numbers, must have been something pretty special.
1: It was special because uh, today, like I was at the uh, the Giants. Um, who, Who were they playing? The Giants, uh, San Diego game, and uh, Willie McCovey was on the field, so I got a chance to you know uh, go down there and talk to him today. And uh, he's one of my, he's another one of my favorites. I got a chance, you know, to play with Billy Williams, you know, Ernie, er, you know, Billy, and I, at the end of Ernie Banks, you know, uh, Star Joe McCovey. It was just amazing. Watch those guys being such professional, day in and day out you know they didn't get too high too low they always prepare themselves for prepare yourself every day and, and 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 I got all that that from those three guys
0: we're talking to a four-time National League batting champ and 1979 World Champ Bill Madlock over WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York you'd go on to win two more batting titles uh, 1981 1983 making you the first player to win multiple titles with two different teams uh, also, over your career, you rejected 18 games, fined $5,000, <laughs> thrown out of three more games during your two years as a Tiger coach. Um, and over time, your approach to umpires changed. Your agent and former minor league teammate, who we mentioned today, Steve Greenberg, the son of the baseball great Hank Greenberg, once said um, now, if he disagrees with an umpire, he uses his charm, which can be considerable. Do you feel <laughs> that your reputation, as it continued to build, and AJ could probably chime in a little bit about this about well, me? What you have to understand uh, was
2: we coached youth it. baseball together, and my job was to say, comms so when Mark got thrown out of the game, there was somebody to run the team." <laughs>
0: but, but do you think that when you get that reputation, it's almost a, a self fulfilling prophecy that you know if you look at an umpire wrong because of, of you know what's preceded? You're going to get run quicker than somebody else.
1: Well, no, because I, you know, you know, I had my problems with umpires, but you know, I always say if I could have, you know, ran to the locker room and look at it on on TV on this replay, I probably would have never got kicked out because they're they're, they're pretty good, you know. They they they, uh, you know, we have the same umpires. We have the National League umpires back there, you know. Now they go all over, so they have different. So we got to know them and we got to know their strike zone and stuff and how they call the game. So I I never looked at it that way, you know, because I looked at them being fair, you know, out on the field as much as they can because, you know, it's not an easy thing to do because the game is quick. I just think sometimes, you know, just like baseball, you know, players get a a little older, they got to step aside. You know, we cannot play until we – 50, 60, something years old, and umpires, some umpires, umpires that I just think you just can't be at the top of your game when you go that long on a field with a game moving that quick. The same way in basketball, these guys are bigger and stronger and faster. You just can't do it. You know, I just think they just let them stay, stay around. Too much, you know. When, when players get finished, you know they they release them. You know, they don't do that with umpires. But I think some up sixty, they're like seventy years old when they move sometimes.
2: So when when you managed in independent league ball for the few years in Newark, how did you treat umpires? How different was it then? And did you? Basically, come to terms with some anger management issues. Did you calm down?
1: <laughs>
2: what happened? When I, think, you became a manager? I think
1: AJ's asking for me more than you. <laughs> <laughs> I I got to the point, you know, when you get when you when you get out of the big leagues and you get out of minor league, and, and, and you know, and you, I said, you pay them. I got to the point. You pay them thirty dollars, and they get a, you get a thirty dollar game. <laughs> and that's the way you have to look at it, you know no use arguing with them, you know they're doing the best they can, they're just bad <laughs> that you know they're bad, you know, but the big leagues you know they're, they're pretty good, but when you get you know an independent league, you know those guys who wanna be get back to big big leagues and, you know and the heart the umpires want umpire in the big leagues, you know it's a reason that there's a reason the player's there, and it's a reason the umpire's there you know because uh, you know they're not they most of them' not that good.
0: You know, since you've moved on from playing, obviously there are some new rules in baseball, which include instant replay. And, and the whole idea is to try and get the the call right. The, you know, managers have challenges. Uh, they, they and, and to
2: cut down on, on the arguments between particularly managers and umpires. and umpires.
0: That's one of the reasons. To me, it hasn't cut it down too, too much. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's that's the question. So what are your thoughts? I mean, there are multiple rule changes as well. Baseball continues to react quickly, whether it be the, the slide rule at home because of Buster Posey or the slide rule at second base because of, of Ruben Tejada. So what do, what do you feel about the, the current rule changes, the idea to speed up the game and instant replay?
1: Well, to speed up the game, I, I think should leave that part of, alone. Part of Baseball is what it is. I mean, you know, it's not a clock game. It's, it's not a clock game. And, and, you know, watching what makes me mad about instant replay, they always say they're going back to New York to look at this at this. I, you know, and, and they have different angles. They got different angles you know, than you people looking at it on TV. I mean, we got a $500 TV, and we see the play like that, and sometimes it takes them 10 minutes. What, what are they looking at? You know, and on top of that, you know, I don't know who's back in New York, but they still – miss a lot of plays and and and, and I think the one thing they should do is take that strike box out you know because uh you know because if the ball were half an inch off the plate you know it's still a ball and they're going to comment on it and and then a per and then the batter goes oh that's a ball because they announce oh we missed and missed that but you know, we expect when a ball's 2 or 3 inches off the strike we we expect it to be a strike you know and now you know, you know, they make comments, oh, he missed this and missed that. And, you know, it's just a part of the game. When that, If that ball's two or three inches off the plate or even four, you just, we, we expect to hit that. And the players now, they, they can hit it too, but they use it more as a crutch than anything now. You know,
2: one of the things that's very different also from when you played and now in terms of speed of the game and, and pace to play is batters stepping out after each pitch. You know, to me, I, I'm, I'm not a hitter, I'm not a player. It seems to me to affect, you know, the rhythm and the timing, both for the pitcher and the batter. What's your reaction to what happens now? Pitch gets thrown, batter steps out, and it's a total reset. Pitcher walks around, does that, batter adjusts, adjusts the gloves. What are your thoughts about how baseball is played today in terms of that?
1: Well, that, that you know, as, as a player, you know, that doesn't bother me not not, not, not one bit. You know, if a, you know, a hitter steps out, Pitcher go around because I got an incident with uh, how Abrowski. Ab- you know he just step out and do his little do that. We you know we got it. a big yeah. fight. You know on the field, but you know it, to me we just always knew that was a part of the game. Stepping out, the pitcher taking his time. You know the pitcher getting hit, or you know, or if a, if a pitcher in a rhythm, you know just strike, 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 strike. We try to break up his rhythm. That's just a part of strategy of the game.
0: It's also interesting, the other thing that has changed dramatically since you played is the abundance of infields shifting for each particular player based on the spray charts and, and analytics. And today, Keith Hernandez made a very good point. He said, listen, he said, I would have, no matter what, However, they would have shifted me. I would have went the other way. You know, we. He said in batting practice, and he mentioned Willie Stargell as well about the launch angle. He said that Willie, you know, first time in the cage would go to left field, the second time in the yeah. cage right field, and then when they got down to three, two, and one, he said that's with the time where he would focus that you needed a home run, and that's when he would do his launch angle swings. You, a 300 lifetime hitter, over 300 lifetime hitter, do you think if teams shifted against you, your average would be any different than it is now?
2: Or or would you have done something to go against the The shift shift, and break the shift?
1: Uh, You know. First, I would have did something, you know, to do I would would have bunted, push, uh, I did something. But like say, I I was basically uh, hitting that ball in the in the six hole, which that's a shortstop, uh, and they would have shifted over a little bit on me. But I was able to wait and go the other way, you know. And, and I don't think, you know, they so, you know, so into the launching. You know, they say I'd rather hit it, hit it over him, you know, and and stuff. It, it is it is just, you just can't ask the player to, oh, hit the other way because the announcer act like it's just that easy. Oh, he's been hitting this way for 10, 11 years, you know, and um, and they can automatically just change, just like Keith Hernandez, you know, even when uh, I think when he, when Willie Stargell and him, they was co-MVP, I think he hit something like 12 home runs, but he drove in uh, – Almost a hundred runs, right. and he used to, he always used to, the whole field. That was his style of hitting. You know, if he was like Joe and stuff like that, who's been doing it the other way, it's no way he could have been able to change, interesting or wanted to change,
0: right? Because you get ingrained and in, and you've been successful at doing what you did, and that's why you got to the majors. It's difficult to change. We mentioned
1: earlier. Right, I... Go ahead. I, I think that's what these guys, these kids now, you know, they have just enough success to think they're doing it right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, we mentioned early on about your high school and Legion coaches, but you look at the list of managers you played for in the majors, Billy Martin, Whitey Lockman, Jim Marshall, Joe Altabelli, Chuck Tanner, Tom Lasorda, Sparky Anderson. Which of those managers did you f- feel that you got the most from, not only from a baseball standpoint, but from a life standpoint?
1: Oh, Chuck Tanner. Chuck Tanner was, you know, a big part of my life, a big part of my family's life. Uh, uh, you know, we should go to Newcastle over his house and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and, you know, he would just let you be your own man out on the field. You know, he'll let you make your mistakes. And, you know, if you, if you want to go and talk to him about it, you can go in there. But uh, Chuck Tanner, by far, was my favorite manager. Uh, it, it's really funny. I still, I know he's been gone a long time. I've still got his name in my in my phone book.
0: Yeah. He's a special man, I remember. Yeah, that same yeah. day where I interviewed Willie, I interviewed him, and you know, reflecting on some of those great Pirate teams, a uh, class guy as well. Here's a pretty amazing stat. In your career, there were only 11 pitchers that you had 60 or more official at-bats against. Um, only three of those, 11, held you to a batting average of below three hundred. Uh, the highest average was against Jerry Royce. He had 414. The lowest was uh, against a knuckleballer, Phil Negro, at 260. <laughs> but 311 against Hall of Famer Steve Carlton, 306 against Hall of Famer Tom Seaver. Who was the toughest pitcher that you ever faced?
1: Steve Carlton by far. You know, I got hits off every day. There is nothing comfortable about him. You know, he's still that slider you know, down and into it. it's amazing, you know, coming from St. Louis into Philly, he seemed like a whole different guy. I, I don't know what happened there.
0: And who was the guy that you felt most comfortable that you just felt you owned this guy and you couldn't wait to face him?
1: Uh, probably back then the, the Braves' whole pitching staff. <laughs> <laughs> Except Negro. <Nick Rowe. laughs> wow. Uh,
0: lastly, you look at the fact that 11 players have won four or more batting titles. 10 of those 11 are in the Hall of Fame, and that's Cobb, Gwynn, Wagner, Carew, Hornsby, Musial, Williams, Boggs, (laughs) and Heilman. One of them is not, and that's you. Uh, You became eligible for the Hall of Fame voting by the BBWAA in 1993, and somehow you get only 4% of the vote dropped from the ballot. To me, that's outrageous. I, I mean, 10 of the 11 people have done it. Are in the Hall of Fame, and and maybe you can make the argument whether Bill Madlock does or doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. But four percent is kind of strange. Um, you look at the guy that you replaced at third base for the Cubs, Ron Santo, was on that same ballot. It was his tenth year. Somehow, 19 years after Ron Santo stopped playing, his statistics magically changed, and he gets elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, your stats don't change from the day you retire, and for me. I'm not a big guy, uh, you know, about the way the Hall of Fame voting goes. So I guess the question is twofold. Firstly, what are your thoughts on the way the voting is done for the Hall of Fame? And secondly, do you believe you belong in the Hall of Fame?
1: Well, I I don't know if I belong in there, but only thing where I look at the people that they're putting in there, I should be a little closer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> People that you're putting a little look, look closer, and, and I, I, I just don't think, you know, nothing against the newspaper man. I just think you shouldn't let them have a hundred percent of the votes. I think it should be split up. I I, I don't. I, I think either way you go, you're gonna get some prejudice one way or another. If you let half newspaper, half players, or whatever, it's going to be. But I think they should should have split that up a long time ago. And I and I think, and with the the media, you know, I listen to you know. Uh, MLB, you know, talk about or you know different sports uh, shows talk about players now, and I mean where are talking, almost everybody should be in it, <laughs> well, you know, because yeah, they, you know, you know because they get this social media and 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 and, 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 I, and I think newspapermen know more about the players now, not so much seeing them, just about what they read about them, and, you know. Sometimes I listen to. Them talk about some players, and I said, Jesus, these are the players that I played against. And I said, No way! But you know, <laughs> you know, and they they talk about players now. They for twelve home runs with with fifty RBIs. I think they talk about Willie Mays. You <laughs> know, with with this and all this stuff they put out there now.
0: That being said, is there a guy that you played against that's not in the Hall of Fame that you believe definitely belongs in the Hall of Fame?
1: Well, I think it, there's two guys. You know, uh, one is Big Dave Parker. You know, and uh, I mean, he is of all the guys that I know. You watch him play. of all the guys, I can't think of uh, too many players. You know, Kirby Puckett was a you know a, a rifle. I think Dave way better player than he is. And then you got then you got uh, uh, you know I put Dave on the same as as uh, as Guerrero. Guerrero, you know they got. The, I was looking at their stats. It's not, you know, it's different, yeah. but you know they're the same type of player. And then you got Al Oliver. He got something yeah. like twenty eight hundred yeah. hits.
0: Yep. Scoop was. uh yeah, and I, right. That that yeah. we've had that okay. discussion many times. We've yeah. had Al. Yeah, know, on show. the show yeah. and talked about it for sure.
1: Yeah, but, I don't understand. See, that's why I don't understand the voting process. You know, because you know, and then you know, I and I see one guy which. I, I I still don't see how they went past him. He was a leading save, Lee Smith. Yeah. And they went yeah, he was a lead and they went right past him. You know, I faced Lee, I faced Suter, I face Eckersley. If you ask any and not that the other two is not good, but if you ask any hitter, they would rather face those guys any day than face Lee Smith. And don't forget Lee Smith wasn't a six pitch save, you know, he sometimes pitched well, two or three save. innings. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, back yeah. in the day, for and,
1: sure. And I think you know to bring all those guys, you know, Suter and all those guys who have half as many say as he do, and they go right. That's why I don't understand the voting. You know, it seems like it 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 varies just like MVP varies. You know, you know, <laughs> you know. That's why I always say, oh, they should have a most valuable player and a best player.
0: Interesting you know, stuff. You know,
1: sometimes the most valuable player is not the best player in that league that year.
0: Great, great stuff, Bill. We really appreciate. It. Where yeah. can fans of yours, such as myself, uh, I was telling Arnie before we went on the air, how I had a Bill Madlock autographed bat, right. a Bill Madlock <laughs> commemorative cover from when he hit won his fourth uh, batting title, a Bill Madlock eight by ten. I had the whole Bill Madlock collection. Where can fans of yours from back in the day catch up with you on social media?
1: Uh, I just said I'm. Just, I, I don't know anything, but, but you know, I I'm not even on that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
2: yeah. All right, Bill. Send your postcard. Okay.
0: Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it.
1: Okay. You guys have a good mm-hmm. one. Okay. You hey, too. Stay out of the snow. <laughs>
0: you yeah. got it, Bill Mad Bill Mad Dog Madlock, 1979 World Series champion, four-time National League batting title winner.